the pressing question for all of us today is simple. Do you want a new life? Do you want a new life? Some of you might say, no way. I'm, not, I'm pretty happy. According to a 2016 Angus Reid survey, 63% of us Canadians are pretty happy with our lives. Chatelaine reported in 2014 that Canadians are the, the second happiest people in the world behind Denmark, unless you live in Toronto. And I understand why that is. <laughs> because there's so many Maple Leaf fans there. That's the problem. <laughs> now, according to Forbes... We Canadians have actually dropped to the ninth happiest country in 2019. I'm not sure what's happening, but we're still relatively happy, aren't we? There, and yet, there are many of us who would still like a change, a change to our life. You know that there's something more. So maybe a better question is this. How do you get a new life? How do you get a new life? And many try to get a new life through a number of ways. I've actually categorized them, and they all start with, with the letter P. People try to get a new life by finding a new purpose. Or people try to get a new life by trying to find a new place. Others try to get a new life through finding new people, adding new people into their life. And then others try to find a new life through new practices. Purpose, place, people, and practices. I was talking to somebody recently in their midlife, and they have achieved a lot of their goals. They're, real, they're still relatively happy. But they said, John, you know, there's got to be something more. There's something got to be greater than what I'm doing. They want, in a big word, transcendence. I plan to give them Rick Warren's bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. It really helps answer that question. Others are not looking for purpose as much as they're looking for changing addresses, a new place. And they find a, a new place to live or to go to school or even a new place to worship. The problem, as Confucius said, where you go, there you are, right? Wherever your feet travel, it's still the same you. You carry everything that you've had from the past. In fact, the Bible talks about you carry your sinful nature. And this is why we can't truly run from our problems. Our problems keep resurfacing, don't they? And they keep repeating themselves. This is why meeting new people alone won't give you an entirely new life. Certainly new people can better our lives, but there is a danger. The danger is when we try to replace people from our history, like our family. We try to distance ourselves from our family. The ultimate will be divorce, but there's lots of broken relationships, aren't there? We still carry that person's influence on our lives. They hurt us. It would be better to forgive them as we heard what my dad preached on Good Friday. To forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus has forgiven you so much. Forgive and learn from that experience. 
Another way to change your life is to add new practices. This is often precipitated by a new purpose, a new place, or a new person in your life. Uh, For example, I, I started working out at the gym last November. Some of you are laughing. Um, why did I do that? Well, because my, my friend and one of my discipleship partners, we've been in a discipleship group for the last two years, Adrian Hoyd, one of our new elders, said, John, let's, let's still get together on Tuesdays. We're, we're in the rhythm of getting up, so let's go to the gym. Let's work out. And so... I started working out on Tuesday mornings. And then Adrian's like, what about Fridays? And then Josiah, my son, started working out, and he's like, Dad, I want to go on Mondays and Wednesdays. You see how people have changed my purpose and my place and my practices? My purpose changed because I have started to take better care of myself and realize that I'm not just the preaching and administrative machine. That this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that Christ purchased with his own blood. I better take care of it. My place has also changed from lying on my bed to now lying on a bench press, right? (laughs) And obviously my practices have changed as I'm starting to exercise more and trying to eat a little healthier. I'm getting a new life. So I ask you again, do you want a new life? Do you want a new life? Today I offer you something far better than a gym workout to change your life. I offer you new life through a person. And that person's name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Over 40 years ago today, this very day, I met Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he changed my life. Donna Waggett, my Sunday school teacher, I had heard the story, but for that, that day, it fell fresh on my ears, and I realized that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It was personalized. I caused Jesus' death through my sins. Oh, I'm hoping that today will be a, a new day for you. Jesus can change your life. He's changed my life literally forever. He can for you too. He will change your purpose, living for yourself. He will change your place. You'll get to be with God in the new heavens and new earth. He will change your practices. You will have power over sin and selfishness, which maybe you saw today on the Easter egg hunt when it was all about getting as many candies as you could. Jesus will give you new practices called the spiritual disciplines like like prayer and and the study and reading of God's word. Like fasting, like solitude and silence, like giving and worship. Jesus wants to give you new practices. He wants to give you new life. We find out this most evidently in in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I encourage you just to turn in your Bibles to Romans Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Please turn there. You can Google it. You can look it on your smartphone. If you, if you want to download um, the app Y-O-U, version app, you can get Bibles on your phones, on your tablets, and, uh, and Bible reading plans. We encourage you to read the Bible every day. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one today. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center afterwards. This message is for everyone. 
because we will either get a new life today or you will be challenged and called to walk in the new life that you've already received. So let's read about this new life in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This is written by one of Jesus' followers who at first tried to kill all of Jesus' disciples. His name's Paul. And look what he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised, what? From the dead, by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. There's that new life that's being offered to you. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the word of God. This is hope for you today. You may be seated. In the most simple of terms, Jesus rose from the dead to give you a new life. To give you a new life. This is what Romans 6 shouts with, with great joy. Now let, let's look at it a little further. Romans 6 1 starts off with a question. I, I love questions. What shall we say then? The word uh, then is, is pretty important because it points backwards, it points to what has been written beforehand, what's happened beforehand. I'm going to summarize the first five chapters in Romans, walking us through uh, the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you why Romans 6 points to this very day, Resurrection Sunday, and why we celebrate Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Because some of you may be unfamiliar with the story. This is the first time it's, it's ever fallen on your ears. So here's how it starts out. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 declares that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. None of us are with, we can have excuses. We've all seen God in creation. In other words, we started looking at where the, the rocks and the trees and the sun and the moon and all these things, and we can see that there's evidence of something greater than ourselves. Some of you may not believe in God, and you certainly wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but I bet you can't look at a beautiful sunset or, or see the beauty of a, a newborn baby, a healthy baby, and go, wow, there must be something greater than myself. Beauty points to a designer, to an artist, to a creator. And that word for that beauty, that something beyond ourself is transcendence. We were made to worship God. This is our purpose. 
And often we worship lesser or temporary things by not giving our utmost affections to God. That's what worship really is. Romans 1.21 explains this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. You might say, well, that, man, that would have happened a long time ago. That doesn't happen today, but it still does. Human beings started looking at created things and worshiped them rather than the creator. It would be like if, if we went down to our art exhibit, which you're all invited to check out afterwards. And there you look in the family center and you look at one of Curtis's paintings or one of our other artists and, and you just get down your knees and you start worshiping it. You're like, wow, that's just so beautiful. You say, well, that's crazy. Now, I know you're not going to worship my painting, because it's very crude. I mean, in grade six art, that's all I got, right? So, but, so you think, well, you know, I can't. I can't imagine myself worshiping an idol. Or better yet, idols. But I, I have. I worshiped idols for a long time. They were in the form of trophies. Look at that verse again and notice that images resembling mortal man. I got thinking, I did that. I chased all sorts of championships, all sorts of trophies. I made a shrine of trophies. I love them. Doesn't that fit the definition of a trophy with a golden statue of a person on top? Maybe it's not trophies for you that you worship, but images of that perfect body or hair, or you love your pet more than God or other human beings. Maybe you worship creation by pursuing your house or by pursuing vacation and travel. Maybe you think tidying up Japanese style will be life-changing. You just need to treat your things as persons and they will create a spark of joy. Yikes! Do you see how we're doing this still today? We have all have idols in our lives that can be defined as anything that we try to replace God with. That, that our affections, our devotion are higher than God. That's an idol. Why are we thanking created things rather than the creator? So what did God do about our ill-placed target of worship? He has given human beings over to their desires. Look what Romans 1.24 declares. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God let us chase down our desires. Now that may sound like a good thing, but anybody who's eaten too much candy, maybe even this morning, Easter candy, and got a stomachache, or they pursued sex outside of marriage and have been disappointed or got a disease or have devoted themselves to work and they've lost their family. They know that it's too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. We've all done this. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 says. Paul goes on and 
Romans 5, 12, and states this. Sin, sin came into the world through one man. Who's that? Adam, right? The first human being. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. This has affected every one of us and explains why the pursuit of happiness is untenable. We might be pretty happy, but our lack of holiness fights against our happiness. We need a new life. Not just a happy life, but a holy life. And so how do we get a new life? Well, here's the good news. Recall that God gave us over to our desires so that it would leave us unhappy and unfulfilled. That's actually led to death. But God has also given us a person who would fill our, fulfill our greatest desires, and that's Jesus Christ. Remember, our purpose is to worship God, as the Westminster Catechism says. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? And we're trying to find enjoyment in lesser things, and they're temporary. So how do we get our purpose back? Well, look at what Romans 5, 18 through 21 says. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men and women and children. 21 goes on to say, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That word justification is a big word. It means to be declared righteous. It means that our penalty for our sin has been paid for by Jesus. I love this, this thought. The grace of Jesus Christ is greater than my sin. Do you love that thought? This is demonstrated when Jesus died on the cross for all our sins. Those little white lies and those big, big fibs, right? Jesus is the perfect son of God, so his death was able to carry the weight of trillions of our sins, the collective of our sins on the cross. And Jesus' perfection overcomes the penalty of our sins, and Jesus' resurrection overcomes the power of our sins. That is glorious truth. Pastor John Stott put it this way, Christ bore sin's condemnation, namely death. He met its claim. He paid its penalty. He accepted its reward. And he did it once for all, as Romans 6.10 declares. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Wow. In consequence, sin has no more claim or demand on him. So God raised him from the dead in order to demonstrate the satisfactoriness of his sin bearing, and he now lives forever to God. And this should make us very thankful and worshipful. But it beckons us to do more, to change some practices that at one time we had no power to change. Look again. We're back, back to Romans. We've, we've walked all the way to Romans 6. Look at Romans 6, 1 and 2. It says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In Romans 6, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul, who at one time tried to kill Christians, 
is trying to address the faulty thinking of people saying, well, you know, you Christians, you believe in this grace thing? This seems like you're advocating that you get a free get-out-of-jail card. You can do whatever you want. I've had some of my Muslim friends say that. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Apostle Paul says in verse 2, by no means, he's emphatic. Why would you want to go back to a life of crime that only leads to death? Having your own way as a killer, have you found that to be true? So now we're called to a new life, to fear, to show respect, to follow Jesus. We are actually united to Christ. We are one with him. I heard about a couple who was struggling with fertility. And the woman's body is overly aggressive and kills what perceives as hostile, including the couple's fertilized ovum. And this has led to miscarriages. To remedy this problem, the doctors are amazingly having the husband's blood be given in small doses to the wife so that his cells can be perceived as friendly. Of course, it's a lot more technical than that. This is similar to when I was a kid and had to take allergy shots. My body no longer overreacts to those allergens like it did when I was a kid. Well, I have good news. We found out this week that this couple... It's working. And that the husband's blood has now transferred over to the wife's, making it possible for them to have children. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? That describes how at one time we were hostile to God through Jesus Christ. But his blood has been transferred to us. We are united now, united to him. What is true of Christ is equally true of Christians who are united to Christ. We will fully realize this someday in a different place when we see Jesus face to face. But it's a fact that you are united to Christ if you believe in Jesus as your Lord. So are you, not, are you united to Christ? I'll say it again. Are you united to Christ? Romans 10, 9 and 10 makes it clear. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, the, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's a promise. It's by receiving this gift of God's grace through faith that you become united to Christ. Notice that it's a heart and a verbal change. It's devotion and declaration that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus is the only one who can change your life for good for all eternity. He died and rose from the grave so you could have a new life. No one else has ever done that. That's what we Christians believe. It's the heart of our message. So what should you do if you've been given this new life? Romans 6, 3, and 4 instructs us, number one, be baptized. Number two, walk in newness of life. Let me explain baptism. Look again at Romans 3 and 4. Romans 6, 3, and 4. Romans 6, 3, and 4. 
do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Doesn't matter your, your, your gender, your ethnicity, your background, all of you can be baptized into Christ's death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let me explain this to you. It's, it's, it's an awesome picture. When Jesus, when Jesus died, he was pinned to a cross, right? He was standing there. And then he gave up his spirit. And they took his body down from the grave and they laid it, his, his few followers laid it in a tomb, right? And what happened three days later? He rose again, right? So when people are in this tank, in this water, and they're saying, I have, my sins have been crucified with Christ. And they're now buried with Christ under that water. And now I'm raised to new life. Do you see the picture there? It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's reality. It's a spiritual reality. Our sins have been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ. We've been raised to new life. Christians are people who have died. Not walking around like some zombies, scary things, but they're, they have a new life. Their old self is gone. Their old way of living, their baptism emphasizes this death. And this is why it's so important to be baptized. It would be like a, a spouse refusing to wear the wedding ring. If I said to Lori, I, I just don't like to wear your ring anymore. I don't really want people to know that we're married. How do you think that's going to go for me? <laughs> yes, she's shaking her head. It's not going to go very well for me. Look what Jesus declared in Matthew 10, 32-33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father is in heaven. Don't you want that? Like, wow. Jesus comes and says, Dad, I know this one. He told others that he knew me. But look at the, the reverse. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Whoa. If you haven't been baptized, what's keeping you? Is it another person? You've put family first. I got to tell you, with all the love I can say, put Jesus first. He requires it. Luke 14, verse 26 says, unless you hate your father and mother and brother and sister, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, why would Jesus say that? He didn't mean to actually hate your family, especially when he talks to, teaches about love. He's saying, in contrast, you have to put, you have to put me first. That's what Jesus is declaring. Maybe you are to go first and follow Jesus and your family will follow. Maybe you're the one that's holding them back. What's keeping you from being baptized? Don't put others before Christ. Maybe an idol is keeping you from being baptized. That stubborn habit, something that you love more than God. Today, lay that idol down. Lay it down. Acts 2.38 makes it clear that we are to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins by the name 
of Jesus Christ. Maybe a fear of water is keeping you from being baptized. I thought about all the reasons, all the excuses that you're trying to use in your head. And, and, and fear of water is a legitimate one. My, my sons were definitely afraid of water. They told their Sunday school and teacher, can you imagine the pastor of church, they said, I will never get baptized. <laughs> never get baptized. That was until the, the Holy Spirit put them in a half Nelson. Drag them and I didn't do it. The Lord God did. Said, I need to do this. I need to be baptized. I've not lost anybody. I've baptized hundreds of people. It's a quick dunk in the water. We won't hold you under lawn, okay? Maybe it's not the fear of water. Maybe it's not the fear of not having your family here. Maybe it's a fear of people keeping you from being baptized. You're just afraid of being in front of people, public speaking. I got to tell you, Jesus, he stood naked on a cross. Naked on a cross. We're going to give you a t-shirt, okay? (laughs) I have decided no turning back, okay? And we'll give you shorts too. What's your excuse? You can be baptized this morning. As the worship team comes, I'm going to challenge you to come and receive Christ. To receive Christ for salvation. Others of you need to be baptized. For the rest of us who are already united to Christ and have been baptized, I ask, are you walking in your new life with Christ? Are you saying no to sin and yes to Christ? To be dead to sin is to be dead to its penalty and power, but it's not its presence. I mean, sin's still there. There's lots of temptations, isn't there? I have lots of temptations this week, but I'm reminded of Proverbs 26.11. Why would it, like a dog that returns to its vomit, why would a fool turn to its folly? Think about who you are. You're united to the resurrected Christ. When that temptation comes, say, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Think about the future. Romans 6, 5 promises, for if we have been united with him in his death like his, look at it, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus rose from the grave to show himself king. Jesus rose from the grave to show God's justice. Jesus rose from the grave to defeat death and the devil. And Jesus rose from the grave to give you a new life. I have to warn you that not everybody who receives this message will act on it. This became vividly clear on Thursday when I wrote the first draft of my my sermon. I usually take it home for my wife Lori to edit because she adds so much color to my sermons. I do the science and the art and she adds some art and she also knows the science. It also helps avoid those silent long car rides when I say, how is the sermon? (laughs) And now she's culpable for bad and boring sermons too, right? So I, I brought my sermon home and our dog Remy found it. And as you can see, he ate 
ate my sermon. And I could have used an excuse that my dog ate my sermon, right? Today. But here's the problem. He digested my sermon. But we've not seen any change in his life. He's still been naughty. So in all seriousness, are you going to be like Remy? Who received and ate the word of God. And yet it doesn't change your life. Please take action. Those who want to be united to Christ for salvation, you come. You come receive Christ today. Those who've been putting out baptism, today is the day. Today's the day. Those who want to walk in newness of life, ask Jesus to live through you, to, to change you, to remind you that you're dead to sin. You're saying yes to God. You come. Let's stand and I'm going to pray. And uh, you come and do whatever the Lord is telling you to do today. God, I just, uh, I thank you for saving me. I know that this, this message sounds ludicrous to people who would say that a man 2,000 years ago died on a cross as a peasant, teacher, and yet we claim today he rose from the grave. And 2,000 years ago, uh, 2,000 years later, we're worshiping you and worshiping him. It sounds crazy unless it's true. And I believe with all my heart that it's true. So God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just brood over us and change us and Lord would call us to take action on this sermon, this message from you. We need a new life. Would you please do that today? We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.